together. You can be seated. Excited this morning to start a new sermon series. Let me tell you, Easter is a great time to be here. The Sunday after Easter is a great time to be here. And you know what else is a good time to be here? Every single Sunday. Because guess what? We celebrate Easter here all year long. And we sprinkle some Christmas in here as well, right? It's Christmas, Easter, all year long, right? We're excited. I want you to find the book of James. The book of James, if you start at the back of your Bible and go uh, to the left, you might get there a little quicker. Uh, don't worry, for those of you who've been fans, as we've been working our way through the book of Exodus, we're going to come back in the fall. It's sort of like your favorite Netflix series. We've got to go on break, and, but it's coming back, though. We'll come back and finish up Exodus, but we're going to take a little bit of a break over the next few months to let the Apostle James be our teacher, because James, in this letter, offers us a course on what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a disciple. That's why we've titled it ABC Discipleship. That is really what the point of the letter of James is here for, to teach us how to walk with Jesus so that we can run by faith. And this morning, we're actually just going to consider one verse together. We're going to look at this opening verse from James that's packed with incredible truth that helps us understand the book as a whole, and it's going to introduce us. Think of James sort of as your discipleship coach or your teacher. We're going to meet him in this verse, and he's going to allow his own example to teach us what it means to be disciples of Jesus. We're going to see a man who went from doubter to disciple. Look with me, James chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 together. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This is the word of God. I want you to imagine something with me. What would it take for you, whether it's your brother, your sister, younger, older, what would it take for you to be convinced that your closest sibling was God in the flesh? Whether it's your older brother or your sister, whoever it is, what would it take for you to be convinced of that? Because far from a hypothetical question, for James, the author of this letter, this is actually what he experienced. <laughs> this James is the, the half-brother of Jesus, one of Jesus' brothers. Again, if you want to get technical, they, they had the same mama, but not the same daddy, right? Since Jesus was born of a virgin. But let's think a little bit about the man named James. That's the first point we're going to see. We're going to meet the man who wrote this letter. Because all we get is an introduction that says, James. And we don't really get told a lot about this guy from the opening. And it's important for us to understand who is writing to us. Because if you look at the New Testament, there were four men named James in the New Testament. I actually put a helpful little chart in your notes, uh, if you got that, of the four Jameses of the New Testament and which one we're talking about. Let's put this chart up here. There's The first guy here is James, the son of Zebedee. This is John's brother, and he gets called back in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 4, verse 21. He gets called to be a follower of Jesus. And part of the reason he's likely not the James who wrote this letter is he gets martyred too early to have written it. 
He gets martyred. You can go read about his martyrdom in Acts chapter 12. So it's unlikely that James, the son of thunder, was the author of this letter. Second, there was actually a second James among the original disciples, and his name was James, the son of Alphaeus. And really, besides those two verses I have mentioned up there, Matthew 10.4 and Acts 1.13, he just sort of disappears. He's not one of the disciples that they're, getting, that they're making movies about, right? He just sort of went on and did his thing after Acts chapter 1. So he seems like kind of an unlikely pick to be the author of this letter. And among Jesus' early disciples, if it wasn't confusing enough that there were two Jameses, there were also two Judases. <laughs> and there was among Jesus' early followers a man who, is, who makes sure that he is remembered as Judas, parentheses, not Iscariot. And I don't blame the guy for making sure that if you're going to write my name down, please put the parentheses in there, right? <laughs> and James, not Iscariot, his dad was named James, not Iscariot, right? That was his dad's name. He's actually called James, Judas, the son of James over in Acts chapter 1. And again, this guy doesn't really play a huge role in the early church, so he's likely not the author of this letter. But finally, the man who is the author of this letter, I believe, and I think is, is, is the, the one who has the most uh, potential, is James, the brother of Jesus. He's the one that wrote the letter, and he's writing around 10 years after Jesus' ministry, around the mid-40s A.D., and he would go on to become a major leader in the early church. I want you to imagine, though, what it must have been like for James to have been the brother of Jesus. Imagine, you think you could never live up to your sibling's example. <laughs> Imagine not being able to live up when the Son of God is in your family, right? Imagine being in the family of Jesus, period. We know he had a mother, a father, brothers, and even sisters who grew up around him. And here's what we read about them in his ministry. Jesus returns to his hometown. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing miracles, and this is how his hometown greets him. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, his mother, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? When then did this man get all these things? In other words, they hear the wisdom of Jesus and they go, he's from that family? Where did, where did a guy from there get this sort of wisdom? And they list off the brothers, right? James, who's likely the oldest, Joseph Jr., Simon, and even Judas, who wrote likely the book of Jude. We get told elsewhere in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 19, we read that Paul saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And James' role becomes even more important after Jesus rose. James 2, verse 9, says that James was one of the pillars of the church. And he's the one that leads the church in something called the Jerusalem Council, which happens in Acts chapter 15 and has to do with how the Gentiles are to come into a largely Jewish church. And so I tell you all that to say this, the author of this letter about following Jesus is none other than the half-brother of Jesus. 
pretty good guy to ask for information, right, about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to know him. But he doesn't include this information in the introduction. In fact, he doesn't put his family history in this letter at all because he simply didn't need to. He was such a high-profile leader in the early church. And in the first century, they really didn't make as much of a deal out of some of these relative relations as we do. When he writes James, his readers who would have got this knew exactly who was writing to them. And the people would have listened. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 15. During the Jerusalem Council, there's a cool moment that happens here. This happens in Acts chapter 15. The apostles stand up to speak, and all the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Then in verse 19, he says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. See his authority here. The whole church falls silent when Paul and Barnabas stand up to speak, and they stay silent when James offers his two cents. And we read that James's judgment about these things, which was that the Gentiles should not have to partake in the Jewish practices of circumcision and be burdened with the Jewish law, his judgment became the position of the whole church on the matter. His opinion gets recorded there in the book of Acts, and we have it today. The whole body of Christ bent its ear to these apostles. My friends, while we don't have apostles running around today, we still bend our ears to the teachings of the apostles, don't we? Let me tell you something. The, uh, to be an apostle is to be in a unique role, right? These were men called by God who'd seen the risen Jesus. These weren't men in white suits that you might see on the TV who might call themselves apostles. These were men who not only had seen these things, but had the authority to teach them. And friends, when we come to God's word with our ear bent, ready to listen, friends, we're responding rightly to the, to the words of God himself. Friends, we have 66 books of words from apostles and prophets, and we would do well to listen to them. Because to be a disciple of Jesus meant to submit to Jesus as our teacher, as the source of wisdom, because all wisdom and knowledge is hidden in him. Consider this. Peter actually write, wrote to people who were kind of beginning to wonder, should I listen to these apostles? Should I? Should I really listen to these guys? And here's what he had to say. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne from heaven to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. In other words, he starts by saying, you need to listen to us because we saw these things. We tasted, we touched, we heard all of these things were eyewitnesses. 
to his majesty. But then he gives you something even greater. He continues, 2 Peter 1, 19. For we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we should listen to James, the apostle here, because of his incredible experience. He saw all of these things, but also because God spoke through him in the book that he wrote. When we close our ears to James or Paul or Peter or any of the New Testament, we are closing our ears to God's very words. And so when James starts this letter by introducing himself, he's doing far more than just telling us who wrote this. He is setting us to consider now, oh, this comes with God's own authority through this man to us. He comes as Jesus' brother, but also as an apostle in the early church. This comes with divine authority. And this one word is meant to cue us into that before we even continue in what he has to say. Because James introduces himself, but then he spends a whole lot more time putting the spotlight on another, doesn't he? We look at the man who wrote the letter, but let's look at the master. The master that he puts his spotlight on. Rather than to ultimately be remembered as the brother of Jesus, look how James desired to be remembered. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he desires to be remembered, as a servant of Jesus. And I think that word servant is a bit sanitized to our ears. The original connotation would have been, he is a slave a bond servant sold into service to another. Jesus, call, James calls Jesus his brother, his master, his king, the one he is living for. Jesus is Lord. A title of divinity and authority. Flip over if you're looking at your Bibles into James chapter 2, verse 1, and see this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. What a title to give to him. And James is going to go back and forth through the letter, calling both the Father and the Son the Lord. Because he wants us to know that Jesus was not simply his earthly brother, but he is the King of heaven and earth. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I want to go back to the question I asked at the beginning. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Son of God? Especially when we consider that James and his family were not originally believers in Jesus. He was a doubter before he was a disciple. One of the leaders of the early church began as a skeptic. Let me show you this. John chapter 7, verse 5. Jesus is teaching, doing all these miracles, and we see this. For not even his brothers believed in him. They were like, I don't know about this, right? 
as the crowds began to follow Jesus and he called disciples to himself, this is what his own family had to say about him. Imagine if you were to go to sort of Jesus' family reunions during his ministry, this is what the family thought about the carpenter's son's uh, new ministry efforts. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. <laughs> they were trying to get him to stop doing all this stuff, right? Stop it. Anyone here got family who thinks they're crazy for following Jesus? Great. Jesus got it first. If you ever felt like an outsider or like a black sheep, Friends, imagine how Jesus felt first and be encouraged that you were walking the path of the Savior who went before you. And that the path of, the, the path of following Jesus will include being an outsider, being considered strange, maybe even being a crazy black sheep. I want to say this potentially or for, particularly to those who may be moving out of the house or those of you looking to go to college soon. Let me tell you something. If you're going to be faithful following Jesus in college, you're probably not going to be the most popular kid on campus. You might be a little odd. Other kids might kind of call you some names and not bring you into the in crowd. And let me remind you, that was Jesus' experience first, before it was yours. And it doesn't just happen at the college campus, it's in life, in your workplace. The path of following Jesus is marked with suffering and a cross, but it is a path that ends in a crown. And James wants to remind us of this in the opening of his letter. Jesus himself told us this. This is Matthew chapter 13. The people took offense at him. Let's just stop and consider that. I love people that go, well, you know, we just love like Jesus loved. No one would ever get mad at us. Well, let me tell you, Jesus loved perfectly like Jesus, and they took offense at him. And then Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Friends, consider this. James was once a doubter. He thought Jesus and his followers were out of their minds. And yet now James wants to be remembered as a servant of Jesus, the Lord, his brother. In fact, I can only imagine being James as Jesus was crucified and likely thinking to himself, I knew this was going to be a waste of time. <laughs> I knew he was wasting his life and throwing it away. And yet 40 days later, we find James in the upper room with the other disciples as followers of Christ. What could have caused such a 360 turnaround in this man's life? Well, we see that he had a powerful encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Let me show you this. The Apostle Paul tells us this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In other words, Paul's going, here's the most important thing I can tell you. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still asleep, alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
want you to imagine this. James gets a meeting with the resurrected Jesus. He encounters the brother that was supposed to be dead. And this is the greatest brotherly I told you so moment, right? As Jesus appears to him, and he is brought from doubter to disciple through an encounter with the risen Christ. And I think that's part of the reason James doesn't introduce himself as brother here, but rather as servant, because he says, hey, I really wasn't the best brother to this guy. I didn't even believe him. But now I'm a sold-out disciple. James went all in on Jesus. And here's the lesson for all of us in the life of James. Here's the point. To be a disciple of Jesus is to submit yourself to Jesus as Lord. That's what James is showing us with his own example, is that he has come, and to come to Jesus means we submit ourselves as a slave to God, as bondservants, because he recognized when Jesus died, he bought him with the price of his life. If you're going to follow Jesus, you belong to God, and we come to him as Lord. There is no such thing as having Jesus as Savior without having him as your Lord. And Jesus puts it this way, in fact. This is the words of Jesus. This is red letter, right? Matthew chapter 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Jesus' principle here goes far beyond money. Friends, you can live with fame as your master, as success as your master, as the approval of others, any number of good things can become a bad thing when it becomes the greatest thing in your life. And James is an example of finding those other kings and other lords to be empty and submitting himself to the rightful lord of his life. To be a disciple of Jesus is to submit yourself to Jesus as lord. And James introduces this to us in the first sentence of his letter to help us become and be faithful disciples. He longs for us to hear the words of Jesus that, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you say that your life is described as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would others say, man, his Lord is Christ? Or would they think it's work? family, money, success, all of these other things. And this is actually the point of the letter, to teach us about what it means to be disciples. Here's the last point. We see the message. We've seen the man, we've seen his master, and now we look and see the message. Verse 1 James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. James greets a group he calls the twelve tribes in the dispersion. And do you know, James, the letter of James is actually placed in your Bible among a group of books called the Catholic Epistles. Now, that doesn't mean that the folks who wrote the letter were going to Mass and they weren't eating fish on fr they were only eating fish on Fridays during Lent. That's not what it means, right? The word Catholic in Latin is just the word universal. So in other words, James here, along with those other dozen or so books that are a part of the Catholic epistles, are written to believers generally 
rather than to a particular church. Consider, for instance, the book of Corinthians is written to church in the church in Corinth. This is written generally, particularly to early Jewish believers who were scattered via persecution. And he wrote to a people who were suffering and were in the midst of trial, testing, temptation, and tribulation. Anybody relate to that? Just not too long before this letter was written, Saul had murdered Stephen, and the people had scattered. Herod and the Roman government continue to persecute the people of God. And so the people he's writing to were dealing with this persecution, likely meeting in private with their faith. He's going to write to this church about the fact that they had prejudice and cliques in their bodies. Never in a church, right? We would have no idea the temptation for that, would we? And yet that's something that James was dealing with even 2,000 years ago. We're going to see that these believers had misunderstandings regarding the relationship of grace, faith, and works. We're going to read and see that these believers were struggling to even get along with each other while they were experiencing all this trial. There were people struggling with worldliness, and physical and spiritual sickness. This was a people in trouble. And James is here to write words that would both comfort and confront. His letter was meant to rebuke and rebuild torn up believers and remind them of the truth of God's word. Because life as a servant of Christ is not easy and followers of Christ need wisdom for their journey. We need to recognize something. Following Jesus is not going to make your life better. It will likely make your life, at least in the short term, worse before it gets better. And all the time I hear preachers offer to folks, well, just follow Jesus and he'll give you a wonderful life. And I think I know what they're trying to say. He can give a meaningful life. But friends, tell James, who was stoned to death by the Pharisees, that God was going to give him a wonderful life in his lifetime. Probably not, <laughs> right? Friends, James spreads his seed far and wide to these people, addressing a number of topics quickly and succinctly. He offers these short, little, short and direct nuggets of wisdom to these believers who were in need of wisdom. In fact, you could compare the book of James almost to like the New Testament version of the book of Proverbs, where Solomon wrote all these little nuggets of wisdom. James is doing the same thing here to the people of God. He writes to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, he likely called them that because they were predominantly Jewish, like he was. This is before non-Jews, Gentiles, were really flooded into the church. So they were 12 tribes who were in dispersion, living outside of the land. They were descendants of God's people outside of the land God promised them. But I think there's a little more to it than that. He's laying out an important principle for them, even as he begins his letter to them. He's teaching Christians even us 2,000 years later or something. He wants us to know this. We live in the wilderness between sal salvation from slavery to sin and arrival in the promised land. Everybody, all of us, we live in between. 
As believers, we are an in-between people. We aren't at point A or point B. We are walking the journey in between, and the journey in between often feels like a wilderness. We're a people of promise who are not yet in the promised land. We've been saved, but all of God's promises haven't been fulfilled yet for us. He hasn't recreated the earth. We're between the saving work of Jesus and his death and resurrection and his victorious return in glory. We are a people of the in-between. And that's important that we realize that. By calling them this, James is comparing these people to the people in the Exodus generation who had been set free through the Red Sea, but hadn't arrived at the Promised Land, and they were going to wander for a long time. And friends, we live in between Jesus saving us from slavery to sin, but we have not yet entered the Promised Land. And we need to recognize that the in-between is often difficult. Life in the in-between is wilderness. That's why, friends, we're going to continue to suffer. We're going to continue to be tempted. We're going to continue to be imperfect people, but we also got to remember that we have a perfect God leading us home. And that's why James wants to set this up, because if we understand rightly who we are and the time we live in, some of these things don't take us by surprise. If we understand ourselves not to be, not that this, as where we're currently living, isn't the promised land, but it's the wilderness, won't our expectations be sort of right that we're going to get some suffering and trial and temptation in this world? Even James himself would not be exempt from the wilderness experience, because friends, he was going to die for his faith by being stoned to death. And stoned to death for the testimony that his brother was God and flesh and Lord of all. Consider that as we begin to land the plane here. James went from doubter to disciple. From thinking his brother was crazy to being willing to die for his testimony. And that really forms, again, the backbone of his message to us. Because if God can save and transform James, friends, he can do it for you. If God cannot simply save James but make him a leader in the church, then consider what God can do through you. Jesus can make a disciple out of you. In fact, wasn't Jesus' whole call to his disciples, come and I will make you fishers of men? It's just a process of him making us into something we aren't all ready and are we willing to let God work in us, whether in our trials, our testings, and our tribulations? Friends, some of us don't go all in for Jesus because we let our past define us. Some of us, if we were James, would go, well, I know I'm a doubter and that's all I'm ever going to be. You ever heard somebody introduce themselves as, I'm nothing but a lowly, rotten and I don't think I understand what they mean to say, but friends, when we're in Jesus, that's not who we are anymore. <laughs> we're saved, we're washed, we're clean, we're called to a new calling. Some of us don't live as sold-out disciples of Jesus because we think our past disqualifies us. But the encouragement of James is to hear this, past doubts don't disqualify you from being a sold-out disciple of Jesus in the present. Jesus makes you new creation. And he was the last one anybody expected. 
but an encounter with the risen Jesus changed everything for James, and it can do the same for you. Have you encountered the risen Jesus? And before this letter can really impact us, we must be bond servants of the Master. We must be fully devoted to the Lord. He will make soldiers out of us, but we got to enlist first. Right? And so James is inviting you to enlist today as a servant, as a slave, to follow Jesus. Because wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Jesus stands ready to receive you. He has died on the cross in your place, suffering the punishment due your sins. He has risen again on the third day in victory and power, and he has ascended into heaven today, and he stands ready to receive any and all who come to him in repentance and faith to get a new start, to no longer be remembered as doubter, as sinner, as whatever you've done, but to instead be remembered as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, as a saint washed clean and washed white and transformed by the power of God. Jesus' call is this, come follow me. Will you pick up everything and follow him? Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, there are many of us today who are followers of you. And we need to be reminded of the difficult road ahead, but also to know that we do not walk alone. But we come, you walk with us through the wilderness of sin, death, and hell. You walk through all of this with us and for us that you might strengthen us to be more like you. Lord, help us to know that the road isn't easy, but Lord, you're with us and you offer an incredible reward to us in the end. But Lord, I also pray for those who are with us today who aren't enlisted, who haven't given their life to you, who maybe know a little bit about you but aren't sold out. Lord, I want to pray right now that all of us would commit right now. We would come to you in prayer and we would sell out our life all to you as bond servants, as slaves of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like James models for us. I pray we would go all in on you so we might make your glory known everywhere. And Lord, I pray you would draw those who haven't done that to yourself. And then in these next moments, whatever we need to do, we would do business with God. And we ask and we pray.
Thank you. 